0: learned from Kathy when she was growing up I think when she went to school she had learned this it's called apple red happiness
1: Titus 2, 7 through 8. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In in, doc, in doctrine, showing integrity. Reverence, in, incur, incur, incorpability, a sound speech that cannot be con, con, condemned. And one who is an op- opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say to you. May God bless the reading of his word.
0: Can you hear me okay? Um, Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with you this morning, and good to be up here again. It's been a little while, I can't remember, I was, I always use, we we have to send bulletin information, obviously, to, so that um, the sermon title and all that stuff gets in the bulletin. And I was trying to remember this morning when I went to, I always grab the previous email and then use it as my template, and just delete out the old information and put in the new, um, so that I make sure I don't miss something to, to send. And I'm trying to remember when the last time I spoke was. It's been a while. Um, but I'm glad to be here and speaking with you this morning, and um, glad that um, I have the opportunity to bring a message to you, and I'm just praying that God will, will bless our time together. So if you'll bow your heads with me, I'm just going to have one more quick prayer before we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for this morning and for the opportunity to, that we have to come and gather um, at the altar with you. And we just ask that as we're here this morning, that you would bless our time together, that you would let your spirit be here present among us, that you would guide our thoughts and our speech, that you would speak through me and um, through each one here and give us ears to hear. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, normally our sermons are people getting up and just talking to you, right? And that's probably mostly what it's going to be today, although I do want some input back. So there are going to be some times where I ask questions, and I definitely want... It's not a rhetorical question. I want input back from you guys. Um, Just to be perfectly honest or upfront or whatever... Um, part of the reason that I haven't spoken a while is because um, I've been going through a season where, not that I'm doubting God or, or anything like that, but just, I guess, struggling or searching for that deeper relationship would maybe be a better way to put it. I don't doubt his mercies or his grace or his, um, his loving care for me, um, but I just haven't felt in a, in a right place to be up and speaking all the time. And so when Joy has asked the elders to speak, I always wait and see if there's any dates left. <laughs> and then if, if there's one that's left that nobody took, then I'll, I'll take it and, and um, be up here. So that's kind of how I'm up here today, just to be perfectly up front. But I think God has, as he usually does, has blessed and provided a message. And um, what I want to talk about today, and I, the sermon title might belie that a little bit, But I know when I get up here and speak, um, in the past, I've always talked to you guys about how wonderful it is when you see things, little things tie together. And um, I noticed right away when I came in this morning, the bulletin cover says faith. And while I'm not talking specifically about faith this morning, I am talking about something that's kind of interchangeable with the word, which is trust. And um, so it was kind of cool to see that, and then... Um, I talked to, when I was getting ready, I said something to Francis or to the kids about children's story. I said, hey, you guys want to do a children's story? And Francis volunteered, and all I told her was what my subject was, that it was trust. And then I let her come up with the rest. I'm sure that she probably got some help from other adults, but um, it's really cool to see them do, do those kind of things. And then it was interesting with the uh, call to worship this morning. Emma actually messaged me back, because I didn't put that in with my sermon, I said, "Let you know, information." I said, let me know if you're missing anything. And she messaged back, and she said, just missing the call to worship. And I said, you know, we're kind of playing around with, in my head, I'm thinking, we're, we've been playing around with ideas for doing some different formatting for our service and whatever, and I texted her back, and I said, just don't include a call to worship. And I said, we'll just um, not have it for this week. And yet, Matt is up here, and what text does he end up picking, one that could have been the scripture for my sermon? Um, so it's just really cool when you see little things like that happen. And even, even the song that um, they did for special music, I'm talking about all of, it's, I try to think about how to explain it or talk about it, because I don't believe that our faith in God and our, Following him, by default, leads to us having a life of no trials, and it's, everything's just happy, right? And that's, if you just listen to the surface of that song, that's kind of what it's saying, right? Infinite happiness and all these cool little things that you're, you know, it's comparing it to different kinds of candy, right, that you would get, if, I'm, if I heard the words correctly. But it's saying in that, in the, what's the, how does the chorus go again right after you go through that list, Matt? Yeah, so it's saying it's it's not saying that you're automatically going to get all these things. It's saying if you turn your life over to Christ, if you will turn your sins over to Him, if you repent, try it and see. See the benefits, the peace that can come with that. And I have definitely found that to be true in my life. I think that what when I when I think about the Ten Commandments or the Law or or things like that, I think about it in a context of how if, I think of them as guidelines that God has given us to try and spare us from misery, right? So there are ways you can carry yourself in your life. There are ways you can interact with people. You can choose to steal. You can choose to treat other people in a way that's not Christ-like or Christian, right? You can choose to be spiteful. You can choose to be vindictive. Any of those things. If you choose that, ultimately what you're going to have is a more miserable existence, right? You're going to have more strife in your life, more stress, more conflict, all of those things. And so rather than thinking about the the Ten Commandments or the law as something like, you have to do X, Y, and Z, I view it in a context of Christ saying, I desire for you to do X, Y, and Z, because I know that if you follow these guidelines, if you follow these steps that I've laid out for you, that you will have a more blessed and happy existence. And that's no different... How many people in here are parents? Right? Some of you, your kids are already grown, right? And they're adults now. Some of you, you're in stages where you have little kids. We have kind of a range. My oldest just turned 18 in November, and my youngest is four. And so we're in that process, and it's a struggle trying to figure out how you turn these little beautiful bundles of joy into functional adults that are contributing to society and not tearing society down. And that's, that's a responsibility as a parent when you choose to have a kid, that's a responsibility that you take on, right? You have taken on that responsibility. And ultimately, when you look at God, he's our father, right? That's how it, it's framed in scripture repeatedly. He is our father. And so we look at, at that relationship. Well, what is God doing with us? He's the same thing you're doing with, as a parent with your kids. He's trying to teach us and raise us in a way that we're trustworthy, honorable, that we can carry ourselves with dignity. Like our scripture reading said, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame and have nothing evil to say about you. Right? And when you read that scripture reading on its face, you wouldn't necessarily think that that specifically has something to do with trust. But I think it does. It does. And the title that I put in the bulletin for the sermon was actually A Two-Way Street. So you can look around in life and you can see examples of great leaders or people who have, are, are super skilled in a certain way and it engenders the trust of those around them that they will come through in a moment that they need to or that you can depend on that person, right? Um... What, what would you, give me, this is, a, this is where we get audience participation, give me what you would say the definition of trust is. Anybody want to volunteer what they think the definition of trust is? To you, it doesn't have to be the exact dictionary definition, just what does trust mean to you if you were going to try and summarize it? Yes? You'd be willing to fall backwards and expect somebody to catch you. So if you came up and stood on the edge of the platform... You would want somebody that you trusted here to catch you if you were going to fall backwards. That's a great illustration. Somebody else, anybody else have what they would consider a definition of trust? Yes, Bob. Doing what you know is right even though you don't understand why. That would be a definition of showing trust, right? You're doing something in faith even though you don't understand what, why you're being asked to do it. We see that as an example in the military a lot of times, right, or in other situations, uh, team sports, things like that. The coach might make a decision, well, for the military unit or the team to function effectively, you can't have everybody on the team turning around and saying, why are we doing that, right? Because then nobody's cooperating and it's not going to work right. You need everybody on the same page cooperating towards the same goal, even if you don't understand why that, why, why that play was called, or if you're in a military unit, why that order was given. The general that gave the order might see other things on the battlefield that this unit doesn't see, and it might be critical that they do what he asked so that it affects something else over here that protects what the, what the goal is, right? Right? What's another definition of trust? Anybody else have one? That's fantastic. So she said a willingness to be vulnerable because you believe that that person will keep you safe. Is that... um, Or you're trusting that that person will keep you safe. That's an example of showing trust. Letting yourself be vulnerable to somebody whether it be in confiding in someone or whether it be a situation that's really like a physical situation where you're trusting in somebody to protect you, right? Anybody else have any? So I'm going to read you the definition um, from the dictionary of trust. There's a couple different, different definitions, and I think we've kind of touched on all of them. An assured reliance on the character, ability, or strength, or truth of someone or something. One in which confidence is placed, right? So I talked, right when I first started talking about this, about people who have done certain things. So how many of you follow basketball at all? Any hands? I see a few hands. I like to play basketball. Who knows who Steph Curry is? Does anybody know who Steph Curry is? I see a couple hands. Steph Curry is... A uh, basketball player, he plays for the Golden State Warriors. Uh, maybe a better question for people in Wisconsin would be, who, do, do you know who Giannis Antetokounmpo is? No? Okay. <laughs> um, so what's a, what's a key thing for a basketball player to be able to do? Make a basket, right? Shoot the basketball and make a basket. You have to be able to do that. You've got to score if you want to win, Right? Well, Steph Curry, um, I, I, I mean, I grew up watching sports and watching basketball. And in basketball, you have the key, which is kind of where, in closer around the basket. And then you have this arc that's out there that's called the three-point line, if you're not familiar with it. And that's a ways away from the basket. So you've got to be a pretty skilled player to shoot and make a basket from out behind the three-point line. And as I was growing up, you know, in high school, the three-point line's at one distance, and then you get to college, and it's a foot or so further back, and you get to the pros, and it's another foot or so further back. So you've got to be a better and better player to be able to shoot from that far out. And as I was growing up, you saw, most of the time, when I was young, three-point shooting wasn't even like you worked the ball in the paint. And it's become more and more over my lifespan that outside, shooting from outside the arc, as they would call it, outside the three-point line has become a bigger and bigger thing. Anyways, I'm making this into a long story, and it doesn't need to be. Steph Curry is really good at shooting, and really good at shooting from outside the arc. And the the advantage to that is when you shoot inside the arc, you get two points. If you shoot outside the arc, you get three. So you get an extra point for each shot that you make. But as I was growing up, like, I mean, even the reliable, good shooters, Michael Jordan or whoever, I'm sure most of you know who Michael Jordan is, even if you don't follow basketball, you've probably heard of him. Even he was shooting pretty close to that line. He wasn't taking long shots. Some of these players now, including Steph Curry, they can be almost at the half-court line, which is 15 or 10 or 15 feet behind the three-point line, and they will shoot and just... It's like they're... The term that's used when somebody's shooting really well is they're unconscious. They're just It's like they could do it in their sleep. And so that's an example of... Somebody, the Golden State Warriors have tremendous confidence or trust in Steph Curry's ability to hit a clutch shot when they need it. If they were down by, by two points and they needed a three-pointer to win, they would have no concerns about, get, we're going to give Steph Curry the ball, we're going to get out of the way, and we're going to let him shoot and try and make a shot, right? That's an example of confidence being placed in someone. Um. another definition that's here is the dependence on on something future or contingent. And a a word that it uses for that is hope. We're all familiar with hope, right? We have this hope that burns within our hearts. A hope in the coming of the Lord. Um, Care or custody. The child committed to her trust. So like, as a parent, you have the trust of your children and you have... You've been entrusted by God and by the state and everybody else to take care of those kids and raise them. So that's another way. Um, The charge or duty interposed in faith or confidence as a condition of some relationship. So think about trust in the the, um, context of a relationship. Trust in the context of marriage, right? If you don't have... Trust in your spouse, how's the marriage going to work out for you? Or if you had trust and your spouse breaks your trust in a significant way, how does that, how does that work out? It's really hard, isn't it, when trust is broken down. Something committed or entrusted to one to be used or, careful or cared for in the interest of another or the responsibility or charge of office. So we place a certain amount of trust, maybe we have less now than we used to, but in the politicians that we vote for, right? You vote for politicians or people for local office, here, even here in the church. We vote each year for a nominating committee, and then the nominating committee is given the responsibility or the trust of choosing people to fill the offices of the church for the church leadership, Right? So Joy is the head elder. We asked her to be the head elder because we have a trust or a confidence in her ability to hold that office and to manage that. The head elder deals with lots of different things. John, for years, was our head elder. And I'm sure he could tell many stories about different situations that things he never expected he would have to deal with came up. And he had to walk through a situation that he probably didn't feel prepared for. But he navigated those situations. And because he navigated those situations with God's help, we, in part, had a trust in him. A trust so strong that he was our head elder for years and years and years. Right? That's an example. Those are different examples of trust. So, how do we earn trust? How do we earn someone's trust? again not a rhetorical question i'm looking for responses by being trustworthy so we talked about the definition of trust right what trust is so being trustworthy would be doing things that meet the definition of trust by why why does steph curry why is he such a trusted shooter because he's come through time and time and time and time again he's demonstrated to his team that he has a skill and he is worked on and practiced and perfected that skill so that he has become a very good shooter of the basketball. So he is trusted in key moments to be the one that shoots the ball. Steve. Correct. Right. Right. So if you didn't hear what Steve said, what Steve said if you know anything about basketball or follow basketball... There isn't a player, the, the, the best in the, in the world play in the National Basketball Association, right? The NBA, best players in the world. Even the best players in the world don't hit, the, hit their shots more than 50% of the time. Most of them, it's 40 or 30% of the time, right, for a lot of them. Especially if you're an outside shooter. Yet, he's demonstrated the ability to do it so well that he's still trusted, even though he fails 60% of the time if you think about it. outside of God who can trust 100%? anybody else Yes. So what Steve said is outside of God who can we trust 100%? Right? Nobody. Even our spouses if if in nothing in, in no other way even just in small ways we might do something that damages or breaks that trust or or makes that person feel like they can't always rely on us, right? We're not 100% reliable. It's We're not perfect. We're human. Um, it's interesting, there's a story of a, a boy, well, sorry, there was a, a group of botanists, and they were out exploring. You guys know what botanists are? Does anybody know what... Uh, what was that, Eli? The study of plants. Botany is the study of plants. So if you didn't know, Eli just gave you the definition. He remembers that because he's doing science stuff right now and they're talking about botany. So he's, he's familiar with that. Um, so botany is the study of plants. And there was a group of botanists that were out um, looking in the wilderness at different flowers and things of that nature. And they noticed through their binoculars this rare flower and it was deep down in a ravine. And there was no way to get down to this flower. And they wanted to observe that flower or, or, or take a sample of it. And so they saw a young boy nearby. And they said to the boy, come here, we'll pay you. We'll, we'll, we want to tie a rope around you. And we want to lower you down and have you pick that for us so we can have that plant. We'll pay you if you let us lower you down on the rope. And he refused. He wouldn't do it. And they kept trying to convince him. And finally he said, just a minute. And he ran off. And he came back a little bit later. And with him was an older gentleman with gray hair. And he said, I'll go down the rope if my father holds the rope. So he didn't trust them, even though they were going to pay him. And he knew they wanted what was down there. He said, if I'm going to risk my life to hang out in the balance here on this rope, My father has to be holding the rope. It's an example of trust. So, certainly that boy had faith in his father. Do you think the father also had faith in the boy? See, trust to me, trust is a two-way street. We we can often use examples of trust and we talk about it as if it's a one-way street. But if you examine or look at Um, stories in the Bible, situations that we see, when you use the example especially of relationships, trust goes both ways. It's a two-way street. There was once a defense attorney, and he was cross-examining a police officer during a felony trial, and it went something like this. The lawyer says, Officer, did you see my client fleeing the scene? The officer answers, no, sir, but I subsequently observed a person matching the description of the offender running several blocks away. Lawyer, officer, who provided you this description? The officer who responded to the scene answered the police officer. So the lawyer says, so a fellow officer provided the description of this so-called offender and you trust your fellow officers? And the police officer responded, yes, sir, with my life. With your life? Let me ask you this then, officer. Do you have a locker room at the police station where you change and your clothes in preparation for your daily duties? Yes, sir, we do. And do you have a locker in that locker room? Yes, sir, I do, said the police officer. And do you have a lock on your locker, he asked him. And he said, yes, sir, I do. So at this point, the lawyer says, well, then why is it, officer, if you trust your fellow officers so much that you trust them with your life that you find it necessary to lock your locker in the room that you share with these officers? The officer responded, he said, you see, sir, we share this building with the court complex, and sometimes defense attorneys have been known to walk through the room." funny little illustration, but you get the point. So, I hinted at this or talked about this a little bit earlier, but what happens when we break trust? We're hurt. Anybody else? What happens when you break trust? I mean, I think that's a pretty good summary. You're hurt. Yes, Francis? you're not trusted anymore so the person you the person that was trusting you is hurt because you broke their trust as a result they're not likely to trust you anymore anybody else have anything to add to that the relationship is broken relationship is broken yes sometimes beyond repair There's a story about a, a boy named Bob, and uh, no relation to Bob in the back there. <clears throat> There's a story about, about Bob, and this is a, from his father's perspective. He said, One problem I remember was a time when our son Bob broke our trust and lied to his mother and I. He was still young, and he was dating Linda, his wife to be, and he was only allowed to see her on certain nights. Well, one night, he wanted to see her without permission, and he told us that he was at his friend's house. When we found out the truth, there was a real scene between us. He had violated our trust. It was like a crack in a fine cup that marred its appearance. In the confrontation, I smashed a fine English teacup on the floor and told Bob, that to restore our trust would be like gluing that cup back together again. He said, I don't know if I can do that. And I said, well, that's how hard it is for us to build our confidence and trust again. The outcome of this event was that Bob spent literally weeks carefully gluing all the pieces together until he finished. And he learned a very important lesson. I said trust was a two-way street. Have you ever driven on a road full of potholes? Yeah? It's common in Wisconsin, right? Although, I always joke, because I, I, as much as we do have potholes and stuff, especially in the spring, overall, I feel like Wisconsin roads are pretty good, especially given all the seasons they have to go through. I, uh, Michigan has a slogan. Yes, Michigan, the feelings forever. And I always joked with my wife when I started to drive because we went to Michigan a few times that it was because of the condition of their roads <laughs> that, that you would always feel it because there were so many potholes and everything. Yes, I'm never going to get over feeling Michigan roads. Um, trust is a two-way street. And if, you're, if you have a good, trustful relationship, that road is smooth and safe. But if you break trust, it's like filling the road with potholes. And you know how much fun it is to drive on a road full of potholes. You're swerving around to miss the potholes, right? You've broken trust, you just made a pothole in the road. Now every time you come to that topic, that subject, that thing, what do you do? If you don't properly work through it and resolve it to rebuild that trust, now you're avoiding that issue, driving around it. Or if you don't avoid it, and you haven't resolved it, and worked through it, and you drive over it, it hurts again. Right? It's hard to rebuild trust. We're told in the Bible the story of Abraham, and there's... If, you were, if you're looking for illustrations of trust, there are many, many stories in the Bible. Job is a fantastic one. Um, I didn't pick that in part because it's kind of the most obvious, obvious, but also because in our Sabbath school with the juniors, what have we been reading about, Eli, in the last couple, couple of classes that we were in? Who have we been studying? Jonas. Abraham, Abraham right? We've been studying the story of Abraham. And I don't know that we typically look at Abraham as like, oh, that's a great example of trust. But it is. If you, if you stop and look at the story of Abraham, God placed tremendous trust in Abraham. I would say as much as he did in Job. We're given Job as an example of somebody who stood through tremendous trials. God trusted Abraham so much that not only did he test him to certain Trials that I can't imagine. But he also trusted him to be the father of nations. To be the father of Israel. Right? He gave him that promise. He trusted him so much that he gave him that promise. And I can't, um, I don't think, summarize the Abraham's faith or trust and the trust that was placed back and forth any better than Paul does in Romans verse 4. So I'm just going to read real quickly through Romans chapter 4. Um, and it says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So you could say, Abraham Trusted God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So you see what it's saying there? We trust God. Um, now, to the, now to the one who works, wages are credited. As a gift, not as a gift, but as an obligation, however, to one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from works. David said, "Blessed are those who trans- whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one." Whose sin the Lord will never count against them. It is this blessedness only, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham before the, that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It is not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless. Because the law brings wrath, And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, by the promise comes faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also of those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, in the, the God who gives life to the dead and the calls into being the things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. And since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it is credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Now, you could probably preach two or three sermons on that passage. I'm not going to be able to go into that kind of detail today because we just don't have that time. But I would encourage you to read that on your own. Take some time and just read through it and think about it. It's Romans chapter 4. It's basically a sermon. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, but it's a sermon in and of itself. I called today's sermon a two-way street because so often that is what we see demonstrated when trust is involved. You see, Abraham didn't just have faith in God. God also had faith in Abraham. So much faith that he picked him as the man to trust with being the father of God's chosen people. Did Abraham prove himself trustworthy? He did, didn't he? Again and again. What are some of the ways that, that um, God tested Abraham and that he, Abraham then showed his trust in God? Think of a couple examples. Eli what, did we, what are we talking about with Abraham? What are some of the things that he did? Can you think of one? Yeah, how he showed trust in God. By going to sacrifice his son Isaac. If I ever figure that one out, I will preach on it. That asking a parent to sacrifice their only kid... And the thing that floors me in that story, if you stop and think about it, it says when they got to the mountain, they took the wood and they put it on Isaac's back. So it's not like Isaac was four years old. Isaac was big enough, strong enough, that he was carrying all the wood for the sacrifice on his back up the mountain. Abraham was already Abraham, it tells us when before Isaac was born was as good as dead. So he's old, he's well over a hundred at this point. He's an old man. He's carrying the ember, the, the coal, in the satchel, and carrying the knife. Do you think that if Isaac had wanted to, he could have said, "Uh-uh, this ain't going down." You're not killing me. You're not sacrificing me to God. That that there, the, there's two aspects that just, I mean, it blows me away that Abraham had enough faith and trust in God and in God's promise to him that he was willing to just go do what God asked him to do, even though it made no sense. He was being asked to sacrifice the promised son who they call joy and laughter. That's what Isaac means. They call joy and laughter because God gave them to him in his old age. And God had told him, the whole promise is that God is going to make a great nation out of Isaac. Right? So that in and of itself is amazing. But then you see Isaac being completely willing to go along with this, with his father, so I have to believe that Abraham had done some kind of tremendous parenting job with Isaac, teaching Isaac to have the same faith in God that he had. Somehow he had transferred that, because Isaac could easily have overpowered his father and said, We're, I'm not getting killed today. But yet he trusted him. Just That just floors me. There's many other examples. Abraham traveled and went to, um, left, Her- was it Haran, or wherever he was at, uh, to go into a new country, to go into Canaan, right? And then he, God told him to leave Canaan, and he left Canaan. So, I mean, he went to all, diff- all these different areas, all because he trusted God and what God had told him to do. He was already well into adulthood and had possessions and other things when he was told to leave his land and his, his family where he was at. And just all through his story, there's just multiple different examples of how God tested him or or he showed and justified God's faith in him, right? And vice versa, obviously, God justified Abraham's faith in him. So, how about you? Are you on the two-way street? Can God trust you? Stop and ask yourself, if you act in a way that is trustworthy toward God, do you live in in a way, both privately and publicly, that demonstrates your faith in God and gives God confidence that he can have faith in you? There's a story told of a little boy who was walking down the beach, and as he did, he spied an elderly lady Sitting on the sand, and he asked, Are you a Christian? And she said, Yes. Do you read your Bible every day? So now he's checking, Is she really a Christian? <laughs> she said, Yes. Do you pray often? And again, she answered, Yes. And with that, the little boy asked his final question Will you hold my quarter while I go swimming? <laughs> so he had to make sure she was trustworthy before he would give up his quarter. To have her hold it for him. What do you need to give to God as you head back out into the waters of life? I invite you to spend some time this week in reflection. Are there things that you're holding on to that are a barrier in your relationship with God? Is there a way that you have betrayed his trust in you, that you have broken his trust in you, that has damaged that relationship, that makes you skirt around that pothole when you go to him in prayer? Or maybe it makes you avoid prayer altogether. Maybe it makes you avoid your your time reading and studying. Maybe it makes you avoid being of service because you failed at it in the past. Are you on a beautifully paved two-way street or on a pothole-filled road? The Bible says that by your fruits, you shall know them. And that would mean that you will also be known by your fruit. What fruit are you bearing? Juniors, junior class. What do we talk about in our class, right? I talk to you guys about how you carry yourselves, what you do outside of our class. How do you treat your parents? How do you act in church? Because by your actions, people will know you. And if you want to be thought of in a certain way, you have to act in a way that engenders people to think of you in that right way, right? You have to act in a way that's trustworthy. You have to act in a way that says you're thoughtful and caring about others. Boys, you guys know we always talk to you about running in church, right? And about being an example to even the littler boys, right? Because you can be an example to them by being trustworthy and faithful and being, as, the, as our Pathfinder says, pledge, pledge says, walk softly in the sanctuary. If, we, if you do that and you demonstrate that to the younger boys, that's going to be a lesson to them, right? You're helping them establish and walk in faith. And if you do that, how will you be known? You'll be known as somebody who walks softly in the sanctuary. Somebody who is respectful of the people around them and the the space that they're in. I I just want to challenge you um, this week. Just examine yourselves. Take take a few minutes. Get in a quiet place. Pray and and think about and reflect on are you being a friend to God? And are are you being what he's trusting you to be.